Hello, and welcome to The Blackened Tongue. To give a brief overview of what this podcast will be covering, for the most part, I will be covering unresolved mysteries, supernatural events, and the darker side of things, such as serial killer cases and crimes. Now, for clarification, as long as there is no shred of doubt on a case, I am not going to be playing devil's advocate and giving both sides of the coin. Say, for example, if I was talking about Jeffrey Dahmer or John Wayne Gacy, I am not going to be offering any kind of defense in their case. But in the example of today's case, I'm going to be talking about the missing 411. And there is a lot of skepticism around what the missing 411 is and the validity of it. If you do not know what the missing 411 is, I will give a brief overview and description. The missing 411 is a series of books and films that is published by David Paulides. David Paulides was a former police officer who started a foundation or an organization trying to prove the existence of Bigfoot. After that, he started investigating missing persons cases in primarily natural parks in the United States. Now, here's where the skepticism comes in. People believe David Palides is being genuine in his intentions on reporting these cases. However, the question is begged to be asked, is there really something supernatural going on here? Or is it something nefarious or something more mundane to be explained? This is what I'm going to discuss today. Now, when people have looked into the missing 411 claims, they have proven that the cases he is talking about actually happened, that people have gone missing in natural parts across the United States. David Powlides claims that there are certain criteria or data points that he has collected to help drive this point home. For example, in the Missing 411 book, he says the book includes criteria for inclusion. Missing are people with disabilities. Missing left with their canines. Missing 411 North America and beyond. Missing are found in or near creeks, rivers, or other bodies of water. There's geographical clustering of missing persons. Bad weather was associated with the disappearance. Swamps and briar patches played a predominant role in many disappearances. The vast majority of disappearances occur in late afternoon or early evening. When the missing is found, many cannot or will not remember what occurred while they were gone. When the missing is located, the majority are semi-conscious or unconscious. When the missing is located, many are missing clothing or shoes or both. The missing is found in an area that was previously searched, and berries are inextricably related somehow with the disappearance. Now, most of those seem relatively innocuous and innocent. I'm not quite sure how he's quantifying berries are always involved, but let's touch up on one of the points. For example, when the missing is located, many are missing clothing or shoes. Uh... One of the skeptics, 
a science communicator, Brian Dunning, released a Skeptoid episode where he is discussing this. And one of the points that he talks about is paradoxical undressing. Now, if you do not know what paradoxical undressing is, it is a event to where if someone is on the verge of hypothermia and they are about to die from hypothermia, they experience a sudden sensation of warmness and overheating, so they remove their clothing. So the exact definition is paradoxical undressing is a phenomenon characterizing some fatal hypothermia cases. The victims, despite low environmental temperatures, paradoxically remove their clothes due to a sudden feeling of warmth. And an example is in this report, we describe a case of suspected paradoxical undressing in a non-hypothermia case. The victim, a 51-year-old Caucasian man, was found dead wearing only sneakers and socks. All other clothing was found in his car. Postmortem investigations allowed the hypothesis of hypothermia to be ruled out and revealed the presence of a ruptured cerebral aneurysm that caused a subarachnoid hemorrhage, the latter responsible for the death. The absence of many elements suggesting a voluntary undressing or any third party's DNA profile involvement along with the possibility that the subarachnoid hemorrhage might have determined a hypothalamic injury. So, in this instance of whatever they're talking about, it's just someone suffered a subarachnoid hemorrhage and that's why they were uh, feeling the sensation of warmness. But in most cases, it's just that whenever they are experiencing hypothermia they will undress now that might be one point to address one of those criteria that palides is talking about but here's a little bit more of a tidbit from the skeptics or the skeptoid claim that brian dunning was talking about looking at 243 different cases all of which come from a wide range of decades and scenarios it becomes very clear that a lot of his claims are incorrect Though not much can be said in the way of Germanic surnames or wearing red, what's most common is that middle-aged Caucasian men go missing. Out of 243 cases observed in this instance, 189 were male, 132 were between ages 20 and 59, and 220 were Caucasian. Over and over again, these men were allegedly experienced hikers, had some form of pre-existing health issue, or were of the age where underlying health issues became problematic, or were actively engaging in dangerous trails, the polar opposite of what Pallides claims. Now, taking that into account, when these people are going missing, is it just that they were experienced hikers or hunters, and they felt that nothing could get the better of them, and so they just took a wrong trail some weather came in they had any kind of health issue any number of things could have happened and they went missing if you were to pull up a pdf of the book you can go over some of the cases and figure out what may or may not be going on an example is marcella ramiski the date of missing was 7 at 5 p.m. in Mount Rainier National Park. 
Miss Kay Raminsky and her daughter, Marcella, age four, took a trip from their Fairfax, Washington home to Chenius Falls inside Mount Rainier National Park for a picnic. At approximately 5 p.m., Marcella vanished. Mrs. Raminsky notified National Park authorities and a search was immediately commenced. The Park Service committed 50 rangers to the search for, Marcella's, for Marcella along with two bloodhounds. The canines were given Marcella's scent, yet they could never track her. The location where Marcella vanished is approximately two miles from the base of Mount Rainier and is located on the northwest side of the park. The Park Service received volunteer assistance from many people in the area of Chaneus Falls. At 9 a.m., the day following Marcella's disappearance, Jack and Donald Noel were walking uphill from the falls looking for the girl when they happened to see a small bundle on the ground. A July 4, 1950 article in Kingsport News had the following details. A blonde four-year-old youngster was found sitting high in the slopes of Mount Rainier Monday morning after wandering 16 hours in the wilderness. Where the National Park searches and bloodhounds failed, two volunteers find her on the slopes of the mountain. Later in the same article describes the girl's condition. The child's legs bore long scratches from crawling through underbrush. People who have read my other Missing 411 books will recognize that these types of scratches are routinely found on kids that go missing in mountain settings. A different article dated July 4, 1950 in Nevada Journal tells an entirely different story. A ranger said the girl, Marcella, was in good condition with no visible cuts or abrasions, but was taken to a doctor's office in Buckley for observation. That is correct. An entirely different story was relayed to the public by a National Park ranger. It sounds like they understand the importance and relevance of the cuts and abrasions and want to control the message. Later in the Kingsport News article, there's a section about the girl's clothing and a statement from her mother. Her mother said the tot had apparently gone through her regular nightly routine regardless of discomforting circumstances. Her dress was on backward, and the laces on her shoes were crossed every which way. People need to understand that on Mount Rainier during a July night, temperatures can easily get down in the high 30s and low 40s. I doubt the girl is going to remove her clothes and then put them back on again. This is an attempt to explain the unexplainable. For a summary of this case, several aspects of this story may not seem outwardly unusual if you haven't read my other books. The girl walked over two miles directly upward during, upward toward the top of Mount Rainier. The vast majority of missing children walk downhill when lost, not uphill. Now, on that sentence, I'm not entirely sure how he quantifies that, but again, this is where a little tidbit of skepticism would come in. That point aside. It's apparent from the description given by the mother that somehow, somewhere, the clothes and shoes came off Marcella. Another common fact, among many children who vanish. Children who go missing in the wilds in North America are often found with serious scratches, abrasions, and gashes. But apparently the Park Service didn't want us to know this. As Marcella walked further uphill away from the mother, the temperature dropped. The air became thinner, and survivability became more difficult. Miss Rominski was very lucky to get her daughter back alive. Now, that's just one of the cases that are outlined in this book there are many 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 other cases that are outlying different dates different areas and so on and so forth now the question is to be asked is there legitimately something more supernatural going on here with all the quantifications that he has for these data points is it that some supernatural being may or may not leading be leading people astray? Uh, are they just genuinely getting lost? Mm, who's to say? Granted, 
it kind of is a tough pill to swallow when this is the guy who founded the North American Bigfoot search and all that. And if you were to go look for the missing 411, as of right now, the listing I'm seeing on Amazon, the book for a paperback copy is $99.97. And if it's used, it's $74. And if it's new, it can go upwards to $165. Now, I can understand that if you're having to do a lot of traveling and conducting research and so on and so forth, that you have to make some kind of profit. But some people might see this as just him trying to shill, trying to make a profit for sensationalism. Now, another example of some skepticism that people might be offering is this article, Skeptoid, by Brian Dunning, the same one that I gave a sample with earlier. And some of the stuff he touches up on is data scientist Kyle Pollack took a sample of many of the cases from the books and verified that they are all real and that Paulides did report them accurately. Again, people are saying that Paulides is at least seeming to be genuine in his attempts, that he is not making up cases at all. But for all the research Paulides has done tracking down every shred of information about missing persons in national parks, he's never taken this most obvious first step to check whether the number of missing persons is actually high or unexpected. In fact, he never in any of his books claims that the disappearances happen at an unexpected rate. Instead, his claims are more exotic. In a 2021 paper, student Madeline Oster analyzed these in summarizing some of his claims, she writes. Palides has proposed the following claims over the years, that people who go missing are either particularly young or old, that they tend to have Germanic surnames, that they tend to be highly edu educated, and that they tend to be mentally ill or physically disabled, and more recently that they were wearing red when they went missing. Often bodies are found particularly undressed or wedged in crevices, and that it's particularly strange when remains or clothing is found near water or up on high hills. So, again, he is trying to put all these data points in to suggest that maybe certain people are being targeted, they're wearing red, they only have Germanic surnames, so on and so forth. Now, another bit that is touched up on later on down the article is Palides has indeed been diligent about trying to get to the bottom of the disappearances he believes are inexplicable. He has filed many Freedom of Information Act requests with the National Park Services requesting the records of missing persons, but has been stonewalled every step of the way. My first question was whether the National Park Service was the right agency to ask. There isn't a single clear answer to this. There are different kinds of park rangers, from the seasonal employees who mostly do maintenance, to the helpful guides at the visitor center desk, to the professional experts who protect park resources, all the way up to National Park Service law enforcement rangers, known as the U.S. Park Rangers. These officers are fully trained law enforcement and are also empowered to enforce state laws. Their job is a serious one. In fact, U.S. Park Rangers are killed in line of duty at a higher rate than any other federal employee. To summarize further... In addition to that, most of these agencies are all members of NLETs, the National Law Enforcement Telecommunication System, which is the National Clearinghouse of Law Enforcement Data. While missing persons reports that become criminal investigations would indeed all be entered into this system, to find them you need to search by st specific data, like the missing person's name or driver's license. It doesn't really have any search functions like show me everyone who was reported missing in Yellowstone National Park last year. The query result formats, which are available on their wiki, don't include fields like what type of land was used or 
what a crime was com committed on private commercial national park and so on so taking this into equation it's understandable that david palites would be able to at least get data on these cases from news articles and maybe some missing persons reports or some reports of people missing on national parks and people are at least just wondering if he's at least spinning the narrative to try and embellish the claims to make them seem larger than life again majority of the people who have talked to david Palide and so on believe that he is being genuine in his attempt to at least ask a bigger question of what may be going on here but this is where all the skepticism comes in now speaking of whenever people are speaking to Paulides, they say when pressed for a casual explanation or causal explanation Paulides has remained evasive he sees his role as an investigator pointing to a problem not a cause alien abduction ghost involvement fairy kidnappers and transdimensional chupacabra can all be swapped in and out as possible explanations for this apparent mystery the topic seems to be constructed with intentional ambiguity promoting any non-scientific idea to fill in as a possible explanation now with all this in mind it's moments like these or his statement that the fact that berries and berry bushes play a common role in many disappearances are quite intriguing Sometimes it makes me wonder if this work isn't a satire. Could such a statement be a wink to the reader? Or could this be a viral marketing technique for an upcoming video game or feature film? While not implausible, I don't think that's the case. Every, everything about Pilate's work seems sincere. My interpretation is that he genuinely believes something mysterious is going on. He's factual in most of his reporting and generally respectful of the missing. Never is someone faulted for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. If anything, Palites praises the missing for being in peak physical condition and deeply experienced with outdoor activities, making their disappearance by natural causes seeming all the more unlikely. Now, with all this skepticism thrown at Palites, a little bit to go on in the defense. Now, the big key thing is... Granted, there is human error involved in some of the searches because you're covering large areas of land and in a lot of the cases where they say that people are discovered, they are found miles away from the, where they went missing, maybe 8, 16 miles away. And that from what I have read up on some of the cases or some of the films I have watched, that one of the things that seems to stand out the most is that they tend to either discover the person much later on in an area they have already searched or if the person had any kind of equipment with them such as if they were a hunter and they had a rifle a backpack or anything else like that that these items if they are discarded they seem to never be found and if they are found again they are found miles away or at least a large area away from where they eventually find the missing person's body if they find him now again this could boil down to the paradoxical undressing that you're lost you're tired you're exhausted 
you're dumping your gear and it's just dumped in a place to where people aren't going to find it. But in a lot of the cases, from again, from what I've read, that they tend to, if they find the person's remains, the person's remains, that their belongings are a long, long ways away. They'll discard their shoes, walk many more miles without their shoes in rough terrain, and that that just doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, if you're a hiker and you're tired and exhausted, one of the things that's going to help you potentially get out of there is keeping your shoes on to where you're not going to get cuts and abrasions on your feet and it's going to be able to keep you, you know, mobile. Again, paradoxical undressing comes into play, but who's to say? Again, Palides believes that he is being genuine in his attempts and he is being respectful of the dead or the missing persons. He is not trying to blame anyone and so on and so forth. Now, all of this started, Palide said his work began when he was doing research in a national park and an off-duty park ranger found him and expressed concern about the questionable nature of some missing person cases, which occurred in the park. The ranger knew Palais' background and requested for him to research the issue. Palais was a former police officer, just to make note if I didn't mention that earlier. He obliged and asserts that he uncovered multiple lines of evidence suggesting negligence on the park, part of the park service failing to locate missing people. He broadened his investigation to include missing people from across the world, and this led to his belief that he has uncovered a mysterious series of worldwide disappearances which defied logical and conventional explanations. As of 2018... Palais has written eight books on the topic. According to a sobering coincidence, he does not yet have a theory on what is causing the disappearances. Hence, what I mentioned earlier, that he is not trying to point to a cause for it. He is just merely pointing a finger at the disappearances. Although he indicates that the field of suspects is narrowing, Palais advises readers to go outside of their normal comfort zone to determine who or what is the culprit. So, this all coming together is that Palides says that he was approached by a miss or a park ranger who said, "Hey, there's something more going on here. I need you to look into it." And the more that he looked into it, he discovered that something was going on and he's just trying to determine what is going on. But again, keeping all this in mind, that I would just implore you that if you are interested in any kind of unresolved mysteries or anything of the like, go ahead and do some research on both sides of the field because at least in this case, it is open to debate and open to skepticism. Because on one hand, people can look at David Pollides and describe him as, you know, a shill, a hack, and so forth because... He's a Bigfoot believer who is just trying to maybe make some money off of these cases or anything else like that. Or maybe there is something more nefarious going on here. Whether it is something as serial killers who were killing people in much of the earlier cases that before forensic technology. 
evolved and over time the rate at which america has experienced serial serial killers has severely declined because they peaked in the 60s the 80s but now when people are going missing we have better technology such as gps satellite phones so on and so forth now it just comes down to whether there is a actual rational explanation for what is going on again whether the people just felt they were experienced in mother nature that they've been on trails they had been before and they bit off more than they can chew i in my personal experience can say that this has happened to me to where there was a patch of woods or a national park that i've been to many many times and in one instance recently that we got turned around on the trail and we at least thankfully knew where we were but we we were lost we just knew that if we turned around and walked back on the trail we knew where we were so for my personal experience it could be something as simple as that to where you have someone who is on a trail that they've known many many times and they decide to check out a side trail and all it takes is maybe some storms blew down some trees or anything else like that and the park hadn't been able to go back and do maintenance you take a wrong turn something doesn't look right it's different next thing you know maybe some inclement weather comes in or you roll your ankle or you're in an area where you have to worry about mountain lions or bears and hypothetically someone got attacked or in the case to where david Pallide said many of these individuals had pre-existing health conditions uh, maybe they had a heart condition, maybe they had asthma, maybe they were diabetic. Any any number of things could have happened to where these individuals were on these trails and they had health conditions or anything of the like and something happened to make them delirious. They didn't know where they were and they just simply got lost. And when they got lost, they couldn't find their bearings they got separated from their group, they couldn't find them, so on and so forth, and it just goes from there. Now, again, whether he's just doing this to try and make some money, because again, the book is right now $100 or more, or if he's just legitimately being genuine in his attempt to try and point to some kind of anomaly that's going on, because, hey, there is stuff that is out there that we can't necessarily explain considering back in 2020 the pentagon published that they acknowledge the existence of ufos and they don't fully understand what they are now that's a completely different wormhole to go down for another episode but just the point stands that there is at least stuff going on in the world that we can't fully explain whether people everyone across history who has said they experience any kind of paranormal experience or something they can't explain, whether they are all mentally uh, insane or not, for all these people who are, for the most part, they seem to be rational human beings who just at one point in time have said they've experienced something that they can't explain, whether it's they felt like they're being watched with one of the extra senses that we have, or they just had a bat bad gut instinct about a situation or any number of things so again i implore you that if you are interested in these cases and that if you have never heard about them to 
do some research on your free time. If you have the availability, if it's available in your region or your country to watch some of the movies that he has published on YouTube, to see the, you know, what he's presenting, maybe look at the PDF of the book to read into him, to at least see where David Palides is coming from. And then also to look on the other side of the fence of people who are actually analyzing the data and saying, no, it's not always people with Germanic surnames. No, it's not always people who are wearing red. The National Park Service can't, you know, log all of these because of the criteria of the way they just have their database and all that. It just on both sides of the fence, there are valid points of, you know, validity on David Palide's side and there's validity on any skeptics side. So with that being said, I think that is a good touching point to end this episode on. And if you have gotten this far to listen into it, I appreciate you staying here for this long and I will see you in another episode. Stay safe.